You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopoly through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Listeners, welcome to the Renegade Economist. This week we are stepping into the hot seat. We are visiting South Africa and talking to Peter Meekin. He is the chairperson of the Constitutional Property Rights Foundation there. He's been a property valuer for 50 years and uh, has land economist, valuer and value capture strategist uh, on his title. Peter, uh, tell us, let's start off with... uh, A bit of positioning, Uh, land reform has been a uh, controversial topic uh, in the last year or so since your new president has come to power, taking over from all the corruption with uh, Jacob Zuma. It's been uh, great to see some action on the ground happening, but uh, President Ramaphosa has uh, created quite a bit of controversy uh, regarding land reform without compensation. But uh, as a bit of background, can you explain your Constitutional Property Rights Foundation and uh, when was that formed? Yes, that was formed in about 1992 when uh, Mr. Mandela was released from Paul's Law. They then set out to decide the Nationalist Party, um, Mr. de Klerk and Mr. Mandela and their parties sat down and, and devised this constitution. One, one of the clauses is, is the property clause. That's the one we were involved in, and that says that the state must make land <laughs> accessible to um, to everyone. Now, for 22 years since the constitution was was signed, uh, the, the the ANC government has not made land accessible uh, to everybody. In fact, uh, people stream into the into the cities. We've got we've got squatter camps all over the place. Um, so. When Mr. Ramaphosa came to power, and he's coming to power in 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 a in a in a situation where he's losing support, the the the, the people who vote for the ANC are getting less and less at each election. So he's got to do something, and that is what they des- they decided to do in December was to, to to was to concentrate on making land affordable to the people of South Africa, give them a piece of land. So. Yeah, that that's what's going on at the moment, and in fact, uh, Parliament is now um, taking evidence on whether Section 25 of the Constitution allows the government to expropriate land without compensation. Yes, well, let's get to that, but uh, tell us a little bit about the economic freedom fighters and... Uh their fiery leader, Julius Malema, is he the <laughs> yeah. one who's really responsible for this sudden urgency to deal with the land question? Yeah, I think he's had a part to play in that, definitely, and and and, uh, and in one sense a, a welcome part to play in it. It's a, it's got to be it's got to be it's got to be sorted out. Otherwise, we'll all, we'll all have to probably go back to Zimbabwe or somewhere. <laughs> but mm. uh, it's it, it's thought it's it's really a you know, daily we get invasions of of land now, um, both in Cape, across the country. Uh, that that that's invasions of of unused land, and um, it's just it's just anarchistic, and it, and it must be. We, we've got 
Ramaphosa has got to got to fix this thing. Yeah, and that's something. And, uh, is that that's something? Uh, these land invasions is something that Julius Malema helped uh, really inspire, was it not? Yes, he he has. Yes, he yeah. Well, he's he, you know he he's a quite an ambitious politician. Um, uh, he's he he's not the most likable chap, as far as I'm concerned, but. Um, uh, that's what he he wants to get power. And then the next election is in December, um, in 18, 18 months' time, and he wants more votes. He wants to be president of South Africa, so he's saying that uh, um, if you vote for me or if you follow my my dictates, I, I'll get you land. So uh, quite um, it's quite reasonable. I didn't I didn't think I didn't I didn't think he's he's got the right. Actually, the right angle, actually, um, but he says expropriate without compensation, and there are quite a lot of reasons why you should do that, as you probably know. Yeah, I see that uh, the ANC set themselves the ambitious agenda of uh, transferring some thirty percent of agricultural uh, property from white to black ownership. Uh, it's only been some eight percent during that time. How have they managed that eight percent? Uh, transferring transformation well if they do expropriate they could they have a small budget the department of land affairs has a small budget each year and they and they expropriate land and then they they allocate the land to uh, to, to 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 the indigenous people here but so often you you simply get um say a hundred hectare farm and say 60 people who, who, who've said they were occupying that land before the 1913s, that, that sort of era. And, 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 uh, but they can never, it doesn't seem to, see, to mean that, that they, just because they reoccupy the land, that they can make anything of the land. And there's, there's story after story about farms that have been expropriated and have had eventually to be uh, abandoned or recapitalized because um, there's a lot more to farming than just than just having a title deed. So that expropriation does that happen voluntarily? Or where is that land acquired from? Yeah, that's a it's a difficult one. I'm not I'm not actually sure that they have any particular plan about that. That some of the land is is negotiated. Farmers will come to them to the to the Department of Agriculture and say, look, I'm selling my farm. Do you want to buy it? And they and they agree or price and or or they don't. Other times they do actually expropriate land. That means they've given a, well, you'll have it. I think expropriation of land is a, is a, is a matter you have throughout the world. Um, you know, you have you have a procedure which you give them notice that you're going to take the land, and then you have to compensate them for their loss of uh, of of an asset and a living. Uh, but they and and they've been doing that here, but now they're thinking of of not compensating people uh, for expropriation. Mm. And uh, we will just go through the reasons for that. And, and of course, it, the big reason is that you can't actually, where did the first title deed come from? You know, in South Africa, the first title deed was the first document, parchment, which gave a title to, to people, where it was issued by George III. Uh, but where did he get his authority from? Where, where whose land is it? Is God a willing seller? 
You don't see his name on the, on the title deed. I think George III said, in the name of the Lord, I, I'm issuing this title deed to Mr. So-and-so and Mr. So-and-so, who've come out from England to settle in South Africa. But th- that question remains. That it is, it, it, land is not really a thing which you can, which you can own in the same way, surely, that you own a house or a, or a, or a cell phone or a, or a computer. And um, so there is a... Uh, there is a question mark about where the value of land comes from, and it certainly doesn't come from the from the owner of the land. But I'm talking about unused land now. I'm not talking about people who built houses and things on it. I'm talking about who's that chap who went to sleep for for hundreds of years? Sean Stewart Mill. Yes, <laughs> you could have owned land in South Africa with a title deed issued in 1820, and then done nothing with it. And today it's worth a million rand. Well, how does that work? That value that is independent of the owner, hmm. uh, even though he might have paid that amount for it. But Peter, it's a lot more complicated in South Africa, though, when the history of uh, humanity goes back hundreds of thousands of years prior to uh, Western influence uh, coming to the land. And uh, how, how do you... Um, basically deal with that issue in a equitable manner if there is such a thing? Well, yeah, I think there is a, such a thing, um, Carl, and, and what the, the approach we've been, we've been taking is, is this. Let's acknowledge that you can't own land as you can perhaps a house or a car, and so expropriating it is, is one thing. But at the same time, what the state is doing is that it's expropriating without compensation, the, the wages and salaries and profits and interest and, and consumption of, of South Africans. Now, you can't have it both ways. You can either expropriate the, the, the land rent or you, or you can expropriate the, you know, the wages and profits, etc., the, the, what, what people work for or what they invest for. And what we're trying to do is to persuade the government that it's better to, let's say, I'll use the word nationalize, nationalize the rent but not the land, and take away the taxes on on, on work and, and, and investment. And uh, that's where the debate is. I suppose going back to this expropriation debate that uh, white uh, South African farmers are, are so concerned about losing their land without being paid anything, well, I suppose uh, the same thing happened to the uh, indigenous people of South Africa uh, way back in the 18, early 1800s. Yes, it definitely um, it, it did. They, they, well, the, it was actually later than that. I think in 1913, in 1913, the the the, the colonists here uh, passed a land act where they forbade the indigenous people here from owning land outside 13% of the of the country. Uh, in those days, and still. That land is very good land, but it's still not being used properly. Listeners, you're on 3CR's Renegade Economist, and this week we're in South Africa. We're talking to Peter Meekin, the chairperson of the Constitutional Property Rights Foundation. You heard earlier how he was involved uh, in the writing of the uh, 1994 Constitution. Uh, with the ANC and uh, now some uh, 
22 years later, the issue of land reform uh, still is front and centre. White uh, people represent just 8% of the population there, but own some 73% of agricultural land. And uh, the big issue there uh, is how on earth they can improve that equation. So the question is how more of this land can be returned to uh, black ownership and from that uh, they develop a sense of uh, uh, stability within society. And for a long time, we've heard of uh, outrageous uh, thefts in Johannesburg, uh, all sorts of challenges in many areas of South Africa, like there are around the world where gross inequality uh, seeps in onto our everyday lives. And it comes back to a survival situation. And I suppose for Georges, like yourself and myself, Peter, it's just so frustrating that uh, with access to land, we can look after ourselves. But you're sort of implying in this conversation, uh, and we we saw the similar things happen in Zimbabwe too, didn't we, that uh, when the land Mm. is expropriated, uh, uh, there's a lot of skills that are needed to go with it. And uh, in countries such as South Africa may be the government programs and the training needed to help that uh, uh, that sort of uh, transfer to to occur fruitfully is is not available no it is it isn't available but it it can be available I think we, we've we've recently come across a, um, an idea where by the people who are in dire straits or the, or, or anybody who doesn't who doesn't have registered piece of land at their disposal can be granted the land that they're using just by decree. If you if you if you if you're sitting on a piece of land, say in one of the homeland areas where where most of the land is is not registered in your in your name, the, the president could tomorrow announce that that piece of land which you have, and you'd have to agree with your neighbours, particularly what the parameters were, where the boundaries were, belongs to you. And with uh, the, the new survey instrumentation that they use, which you even find on your on your cell phone now, that piece of land can be positioned and the, the boundaries can be prescribed and the pegs put in by the neighbours. And, and therefore you have the basis of a, of, 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 of a registration. Now, once you've got a registration, and let's look at this on a on a larger scale than, than you know, single plots, let's say, and this, this seems to be the way that you could get around the problem of not having the skills necessary, let's say you, you then decide to take on uh, 10,000 hectares of land and, and put, say, 30,000 people on it. Now, they'll each have a, a small piece of land, probably only 1,200 square meters, but with so many people around, you can afford to have horticulturalists, and uh, and marketing people and uh, all the support that you'll need uh, and make a decent uh, living out of a very s- small piece of land, something like 1,200 square meters we think you can make a decent living out of. And there you are and you're in a gated village and um, so you can have, you can build your own schools, you can, you can get out of this terrible trough of, uh, of, of, of um, squatter camps, what are called uh, rusty corrugated on, on suburbs, which are dangerous and, and where health is, is unhealthy, un, unenvironmental. That, that's one of the ideas which I think will, will 
will come to the fore uh, and it be driven by farmers, by entrepreneurial farmers. They'll say, okay, well, look, here's a, here's a big beef there, and we're going we're gonna to make you, we're going to give you plots, a decent size, a big enough plot to make a living. And if you produce the, the fruit, if you produce the vegetables and the fruit which we want you to produce, we'll pay you for them. And so that from there you can can imagine you'll you'll start having uh, shops and offices and uh, it's it's like maybe like a, the things they have in Israel as well. I, I've forgotten the name. The kibbutzes, that, yes. That, that's right. Yeah, that seems to be. But it has to be privately. I think it has to be private capital that drives these things uh, because. That, that's profit orientated and it does work in, in Africa where you have people with the capital who, 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 can, who can organize uh, these, these matters and, and then they show people how to, how to grow the tobacco or grow the vegetables and so everybody's happy. <laughs> Some believe the spate of land grabs is being fueled by the expropriation without compensation policy. The Human Rights Commission has entered the debate, saying government has failed its people for far too long. 18 March, Alexandra. Shacks dismantled. Destined for waterfall in Midrand. I'm tired of paying rent. I live in a waterlocked shack, so it's difficult for my family. The shacks were erected in the dead of the night. We are not invading this land, we are occupying it. But by first light, the land grab was halted. Days earlier, Oliver Holt Bosch a similar scene prompting a warning from the highest office. Nobody has any right to invade land, to violate other people's rights. 23 March, Hermanas. Violent protest over decent housing. People occupying municipal land. We tolerated so much suffer. The people in Zolich have been struggling for many years. It's your land, you'll get it, but there's a process. Land remains a powder cash. If we don't get serious about this issue soon, nobody's going to be able to control what's going to happen with land in South Africa. We can't have the levels of landlessness that we have, the poverty that we have, the inequality that we have, and continue with dialogues and talks and plans that are to have a plan, then one day we'll have a plan. It's one thing to make a popular statement land expropriation without compensation. What does that mean into practice? If you can't translate that into practice, it remains a no-show. Talking about these sort of insecure property rights like you've been alluding to, where how well formulated uh, is the system of land registration and uh, property rights there? It's always a double-edged sword, this one. And I know the World Bank is sort of sharpening their pencil, saying, look, we need to get a form of land registration, land titling, uh, survey the land properly and have it uh, registered so that uh, people know who owns what. Yes, we've got um, a very good... The registration system. I mean, all of the the whole of the uh, what I call ex-white South Africa area of of the country is probably registered land. It, it has a it has a diagram and it's registered in the title deed. The thing is, 
unless you buy that that piece of land and and, grow, and give it to the uh, you know to the poor, uh, nothing will happen to it. And that and that's a, that's a possibility that maybe the government will say, well, that piece of land there, you know, you, 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 people can start settling on that, and you can have your own title deeds. And uh, that's the kind of thing which we anticipate in a in a more modest form. Uh, you know, if you if, but. Because if you have to, I think we've got nine million people out of work. That's more than twenty-five percent of the population. Now, you imagine trying to <laughs> trying to put survey diagrams together for nine million people, even with sort of aerial photography and this, that, and the other. It's going to take you a while. Uh, when you could, as I said before, uh, you could just start tell the president, say, right, whatever you whatever you've got now is yours. And uh, just make, but just make a your own uh, survey diagram of it. Mm. But uh, this sort of uh, bureaucratic decision making, this sort of uh, top down decision making, mightn't be the best uh, way forward. Uh, we've seen in uh, Venezuela uh, there was a lot of consultation involved in the land reforms there, and uh, yeah. uh, it ended up going into the courts. And it took forever for the courts to make decisions. And by the time uh, Hugo Chavez passed away, uh, barely any land reform had occurred. Then the other extreme in Zimbabwe, where there was a lot of these land invasions uh, that took place, and things uh, yeah. got well out of hand, and a lot of the uh, skilled uh, farming community. Uh, left yeah. Zimbabwe. Uh, so uh, how does a land value tax help ameliorate uh, those two extremes? Provided that you don't tax people on their work or their investments, but you, you tax their land and the benefits which they, which they enjoy there, then, of course, the first thing that will happen will, will, will be that a lot of people will, will give up their land because they're not using it. It's a major piece of it's a, it's a very good piece of, of, of uh, thing to speculate in, as, as as I believe happens a lot in in Australia too. And but mm-hmm. if you if you if you properly if you properly collect the rents, and there's no reason why you can't here under existing laws, then the price of land will reduce to zero, and become simply a rental payment, and sometimes a a, a very small rental payment, sometimes an a, we're in, in really marginal land that will be no payment due, but you will still have your, your title deed. Does that sound sensible? It does, but it's uh, it's a lot for people to take in when you, you put it that way. They often think, God, uh, who's going to trust the market system to actually deliver land reform? But uh, it's the way uh, uh, governments, societies uh, looked after themselves uh, for thousands of years. Yes, it is, and it, uh, I think it, it offers very great uh, opportunities for private capital to 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 get in on the ground floor, as it were. Here, it happens in Mozambique, by the way. They've got uh, the American Tobacco Company or American Leaf Company up there. They have an area as big as from London to Birmingham and the same uh, diameter, east and west, for people to grow tobacco for them. And they teach them how to grow tobacco. And these people were, uh, uh, not long ago, I mean, I think it was only four or five years ago, they were actually receiving handouts from the World Health Organization because they couldn't feed themselves. Now here, they own the farms because you can, you, land in, in Mozambique is all 
all of it is owned by the state and you, and, and you lease it there. And these, these farmers have been taught how to farm. And now they're building uh, houses. They're sending their children to private schools. They're, um, they're, they're driving Rolls Royces. They're very, they're very well off. And, um, and so it does work. There are, there are examples of, of where private capital and, and um, unskilled labor can, can work together and f- for both advantages. Mm, there's so much potential now with uh, the online community, with uh, permaculture, with co-ops. Yeah. Uh, there, there's so much uh, know-how out there and all these NGOs circling the world to uh, trying to find, uh, you know, the latest uh, issue to help so they can raise more money uh, from their supporters. Peter, uh, what what then? uh, It's being argued in the courts now that this expropriation is going to go on without payment. Uh, Are we likely to see civil war type outbreaks or what's going to happen? We've had our uh, outrageous uh, Home Affairs Minister here, Peter Dutton, saying he'll uh, expedite... uh, uh, visas for uh, uh, white South African farmers, uh, you know, just not the best possible message to be sending to South Africa. But uh, wh- where do you yeah. see the the pathway forward? Oh, I'm very confident that the, that that this new president will grasp the the metal here and quickly arrange for people to have land wherever they are, give them registration of land, and also arrange for us to become a tax haven like 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 Hong Kong Singapore so they'll they can collect the same amount of money from by renting the land as they can by taxing your work and and your investments so I'm very confident but maybe that's because I've been involved in the matter for so long and realize how what a super solution it is to South Africa that it will actually happen one of the big stumbling blocks for uh, our reform, of course, is uh, getting the banking community on side. Uh, what have they been uh, talking about uh, as uh, these political uh, storms uh, gather? Well, of course, the banking community is <clears throat> is concerned about the matter, but you know, nobody. It hasn't sunk in here, Carl, that 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 uh, in fact, banks never lend money on the value of the land. They'll only lend you money on on what on what you're going to plant that year, so they're not all that exposed. And if it was if it was if if you move from a, a position where the, where there was there was a lot of capital in land was forfeited because you are now bringing back that that rent to the to the state, I don't think it's I, I don't think the banks are going to be uh, d- disturbed because the the other side of the coin is that uh, the people who the farmers are now freed of t- taxes, VAT, income taxes, corporate taxes. They'll have the money to to pay the interest uh, on on those loans. I'm 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 not an expert on on that on that, but I'm sure we can get through it. And of course, you know, the government can can print money if there's a, if there's any sort of real run on on farm prices and and, and farm and farm enterprises. If listeners uh, are uh, interested in what's happening in South Africa, what are the best news sources and who are the best commentators to be uh, reading to keep up to date with uh, the land reform story in South Africa? Okay, um, that's probably me. (laughs) 
And you can get you can get hold of me at uh, www.sacprof, S-A-C-P-R-I-F, that's the South African Constitutional Property Rights Foundation, dot org, www.sacprof, S-A-C-P-R-I-F, dot org. Excellent, Peter. Well, thanks so much for joining us here on The Renegade Economist. Uh, good talking to you. Thanks a million for listening. Check the show notes on earthsharing.org.au.